Well, today we're continuing in our study of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah. And today we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 5, Jeremiah chapter 5. Just a quick review. In our last three sessions, studying chapters 2, 3, and 4, we've observed a downward progression in the country of Judah. In chapter 2, we saw God bringing his list of charges against the people of Judah. Chapter 2, verse 13, God said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to make for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then in chapter 3, we saw God pleading with Judah to repent of her sin. Chapter 3, verse 12, God said, For I am gracious, declares the Lord, and I will not be angry forever, but only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. And then last time in chapter 4, we heard God declaring the devastation of the judgment that he was going to bring upon the land of Judah. Chapter 4, verse 7, God said, A lion, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, a lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land, the land of Judah, a wasteland. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Now here in chapter 5, we have Judah's response to God's pronunciation of judgment upon them. And it's not a good response. This, like last time, will be another unhappy chapter. And yet, it's also a chapter in which we see the integrity of God. And it's a chapter where we hear God's blunt and upfront honesty about the sins of man. God doesn't sugarcoat the description of Judah's sin in this chapter, and he doesn't sugarcoat the description that he's he doesn't sugarcoat the description of the judgment that he's going to bring upon Judah for their sin. As I've studied this book of Jeremiah, I've really come to appreciate the directness of Jeremiah. He tells it like it is. Many people today don't like the idea that the Bible teaches that God is a God who will judge this earth. The idea that God is a God who judges sin. He hates sin, bothers some people. And why is that? Well, if we read a verse out of the book from another prophet, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 29, Ezekiel writes there, The house of Israel says, It is the way of the Lord that is not right. And then God responds to that by saying, Is it my ways that are not right, O house of Israel? Rather, it is your ways that are not right. 
So here in this verse, there's something important about the heart of man and man's attitude towards his creator, God. You know, from the beginning with Adam, man has always thought that he knows better than God what is best for him and for his life. Adam and Eve basically believed Satan's lie that God's restriction or God's restricting them from eating from that one tree was a bad thing. Adam and Eve put themselves above God's word and they stood in judgment upon God's word instead of allowing God's word to stand as an authority over them. And, you know, we all know that today man does basically the same thing that Adam and Eve does, did. They decide for themselves what parts of God's word we like, what parts we don't like, and what parts of God's word we will and will not obey. We set ourselves up as judges over God's word instead of the other way around. I'm going to break down Jeremiah chapter 5 like this. First, we're going to look at Judah refuses God's call to repent. That's verses 1 to 9. Then secondly, we have the treachery of Judah's sin. That's verses 10 through 19. And then thirdly, God speaks to Judah's stubborn and rebellious heart. That's verses 20 to 31. So we've got Judah refusing God's call to repent. We've got the treachery of Judah's sin. And then we have God speaking to Judah's stubborn and rebellious heart. So let's start with our first heading. Judah refuses God's call to repent. And I'll read the first six verses here of chapter 5. God tells Jeremiah to roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and look now and take note. Seek in her open squares if you can find a man. If there is one who does justice and who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. And although the people say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have smitten them, but they did not weaken. You have consumed them, and they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. So then I said, these are only the poor. They're foolish. They don't know the way of the Lord or the ordinance of their God. So I will go to the great and will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord and the ordinance of their God. And then Jeremiah says, but, but they too, with one accord, have broken the yoke and burst the bonds. So here chapter 5 begins with God telling Jeremiah to go out and go through the streets of Jerusalem. And if Jeremiah can find one man, one man who does what is right and just and true, God says he will pardon Jerusalem. But in verse 2, all Jeremiah can find is people going through the motions of worshiping God. They, they might use the phrase, well, as the Lord lives, I'll do such and such. But God says the people are lying. 
They have no desire to obey me in their hearts. And then verse 3 says, after God had disciplined Jerusalem, he had smitten them. But Judah's response was a refusal to take God's correction. They stiffened their faces against God. They refused to repent. And in that, we see the arrogance of the heart of man. Man can even know what God and his word says about sin and yet still willfully choose to defy God's call to repent. Romans chapter 1 verse 32 says, uh, even though man knows the law of God, that those who practice greed and unrighteousness, deceit, envy, and gossip, even though man knows these things are deserving of death, man not only does these things, but they also give approval to those who practice those things. That's the arrogant heart of man. In verses 4 and 5, Jeremiah says, well, I've only been looking at the poor people, the uneducated people who don't know the word of God. I'll go to the great people, the educated people, those who know about God's word and God's way. Maybe they will listen and repent. But what did Jeremiah find when he went to the great and educated people? Second half of verse five there says, but they too with one accord or with one mind have broken the yoke of God and burst the bonds. So the great and the educated people of Judah were every bit as stubborn of heart as the poor and the uneducated people. You know, I think we've seen this play out in our world over the years. For example, Germany in World War II, they were a very highly educated people, technologically very advanced, and yet they were firmly committed to anti-Semitism and the destruction of the Jews. If you look at our colleges today, what do you see? You see the same thing, whether it's the Ivy League schools, the supposed best and brightest you know, of, of the college people today, once again, we see that they are committed and many sold out to this anti-Semitism as well. We could ask ourselves the question, why do the people of this world so desire to rid themselves of the yoke of God, as we read there in verse 5? Why is that? Well, it comes down to this. Luke chapter 19, Jesus told a parable about himself is king, and it says there his citizens hated him. And they said, we don't want this man to rule over us. We don't want this man to rule over us. And this is the root issue. It's a question of authority. Man does not want God, his creator, his redeemer, to rule over him. And here's the deceit that Satan uh, puts out there. Matthew chapter 11, verse, verses 28 to 30, tell us 
that Jesus said that his yoke is easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if you contrast that with the enslaving yoke of sin, you know, Proverbs chapter 13 says, the way of the treacherous, the way of the sinner is hard and unrelenting. Satan will tell me and you that the yoke of sin is full of pleasure and freedom. If you want freedom, you've got to throw off God and throw off the word of God. And sin does have its pleasurable side. We all know that. But ultimately, sin is enslaving. Jesus said, he who practices sin is a slave to sin. And Jesus offers men freedom and rest for his soul if you take his yoke upon you and walk with him. In verses 7 through 9 here in our chapter 5, we have God's blunt assessment of Judah's attitudes and actions. Verse 7, God says, Why should I pardon you? Your sons have forsaken me and sworn by those who are not gods. And get this, God says, when I had fed them to the full, what did they do? They committed adultery and trooped to the harlot's house. They were well-fed, lusty horses, each one neighing after his neighbor's wife. What a description. Shall I not punish these people, declare the Lord? And on a nation such as this, shall I not avenge myself? Shall I not avenge myself? Sometimes we can fail to see the magnitude of our sin. And here God says to Judah, I fed you to the full. I brought you to the land of milk and honey. And how did you respond? Well, it says here, they committed adultery. They trooped off to the harlot's house. They were lusty horses neighing after their neighbor's wives. They took all of God's goodness towards them. They were perfectly willing to take the blessings that God gave them. But then they basically thumbed their noses at God and mocked God to his face. And God asked in verse 9, on a nation such as this, a nation who has behaved like that, shall I not avenge myself? You know, the world today denounces this idea of a vengeful God, a God who exercises his wrath against the sins of man, a God who sends people to hell. I've heard people say sometimes, I don't like this God of the Old Testament. He was a God of wrath, a God of judgment. Whereas the God of the New Testament is a God of love, a God of forgiveness. But you know, is that really true? Is that Can you really just divide the two Testaments like that and say the Old Testament God is wrathful and the, and the New Testament God is loving? No, you can't. That's a false, uh, that's a false, uh, representation of what the Bible teaches. The same God of judgment that we see in the Old Testament is also the same God of the New Testament. You know, Jesus himself spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. 
And when God in Genesis saw Noah, what 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 you know what what does it say there? It says Noah found grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So we see this teaching of grace in the Old Testament that God showed grace to Noah. You read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says there, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, it does say a person who has chosen, a person who has chosen not to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. A person has made his own choice about the gospel, whether he's going to receive it or not. And God honors the choice of, about the gospel that you and I make. When a man does not want to be in the presence of God, God sadly will say okay to that. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, he wrote this. He said, all those who are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. Let's go to our second heading. We have the treachery of Judah's sin. Let's pick up reading in verse 10. God says there, so go up through her vine rows. Judah is being compared to a vineyard here. Go up through her vine rows and destroy, but do not execute a complete destruction. Strip away her branches. They are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, declares the Lord. They have lied about the Lord and said, not he. Misfortune will not come upon us. We will not see sword or famine. The prophets are as wind, and the word is not in them. Thus it will be done to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, I am... And then he says to Jeremiah, Behold, I am making my words in your mouth fire, and this people wood, and it will consume them. I am bringing a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation, an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. And here, God is referring to the Babylonians. Their quiver is like an open grave. All of them are mighty men. They will devour your harvest and your food. They will devour your sons and daughters. They will devour your flocks and herds. They will devour your vines and fig trees. They will demolish with the sword your fortified cities in which you trust. Yet even in those days, declare the Lord, I will not make you a complete destruction, and it will come about when they say, Why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? Then you shall say to them, As you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you will serve strangers in a land 
that is not yours. In verse 10 here, God is comparing Israel to a vineyard. And he says, strip away the branches because the house of Judah has dealt very treacherously with me. They have lied about the Lord and said, not he. And literally there, the people of Judah were saying, he, that's God, is not. God is not. This is the treacherous thing that Judah has done. They said, God is not. I want to just take a few minutes and look why Israel's saying this not he is such a treacherous thing. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, God said to Israel there, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. God was telling the Jews, you are the people that I am going to use to display my glory throughout the earth. God dwelt with Israel in the tabernacle and in the temple. And when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he did miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He made the walls of Jericho fall down. And when Rahab, the harlot, hid the spies who had come to spy out Jericho, what did Rachel say, or Rachel, what did Rahab say to the spies? She said, when we heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea, our hearts melted. We had no courage remaining in any of us any longer, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She knew that there was something different about this God of the people of Israel. God had chosen Israel to be the people in which he would display his greatness and his power and his glory to the rest of the world. But what happened when Israel went into the land of Canaan and possessed it? What happened? Well, they forgot their God. They intermarried with the heathen Canaanites, and they started to worship the gods of the Canaanites. In spite of all the great things that God had done on their behalf, verse 12 here says, Judah was lying about the Lord. They had said, not he. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus uses this phrase, I am he, I am he. Jesus uses that phrase in the New Testament a number of times. John 8, verse 24, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So this phrase here, I am he, is a reference to, to the name of the true God. God told Moses to say to the Israelites, I am, I am has sent me to you. So when Judah is referring to God as not he, this was Judah calling God a liar. This was Judah saying, the God who led us out of Egypt and fed us the manna, he's not the true God and we are not going to acknowledge him or obey his word. And by Judah's disobedient lifestyles, their idol worship, their immorality, they were giving the nations around them a false 
picture of the true God. The neighboring nations would see Judah's drunkenness and their immorality and their idol worship. And they would think, you know, what kind of God does Judah have if he permits them to live that kind of lifestyle? Their God is no different than our gods. And he certainly is a God with no integrity. That's what they would think. And how did God respond to this treacherous behavior of Judah? Well, in verse 15, God says there, I am bringing a nation against you from afar, the Babylonians. And then in verse 17, he says, the Babylonians will devour your harvest, sons and daughters and flocks, and so on. So God responded to Judah's spiritual adultery by allowing them to experience the full bitterness of their own choice to serve other false gods. God is saying to Judah, you people of Judah have chosen to reject me and my word. You want to have the pleasures of immorality and debauchery. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to allow you to serve these false gods with all of their associated immoralities, and you will see for yourself just how miserable and how enslaving your sinful choices really are. And here's the worst aspect of all. Not only does Judah suffer for their sinful choices, God himself was shamed by the sinful behavior of his people. You know, when David sinned with Bathsheba, what did Nathan the prophet say to David? He said, your sin has caused, you know, the, the, the nations to blaspheme the true God. So what's the pra practical application for us? You know, we're not Old Testament Israel, we're the New Testament church. We could ask the question, are we, the New Testament church, any better in our behavior than Old Testament Israel? And of course, the answer is no, we're not. We read of the church's mission in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll just read a couple verses from there where Peter says, You also, as living stones, are built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellencies or the goodnesses of God who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and therefore abstain from fl fleshly lusts, keep your behavior, behavior excellent among the nations. So the church is to do a couple of things. It's to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ, to offer up praise and thanksgiving to God for the great salvation that he's given us. And then secondly, the church is to proclaim God's excellencies, to proclaim God's goodness through our everyday lives, to abstain from sin and to be filled with good works. And we can ask the question, how has the church as a whole done this? And the answer, of course, is not very well. 
There, we all know there's greed in the church. There's immorality of all kinds. There's compromises of doctrine. You know, things, things are discussed regularly among churches. Is the Bible really the word of God? Is Jesus the only way to God? Is Jesus the son of God? The professing church of today has compromised and or given up on these truths of Scripture. And Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 2, verse 24, where he says, The name of God is blasphemed among the nations because of you and your sin. You know, when people look at the church and its people, they're supposed to see the excellency and the goodness of God. But unfortunately, all too often, they see sin and hypocrisy. If I, who names the name of Christ and claims to be a believer, if I deny God through disobeying his word, and if I tolerate sin in my life, I am speaking falsely about the Lord. In essence, I'm being like Judah. I'm saying through my behavior, not he. God isn't God. God isn't really God. And I really don't have to submit myself to his word. And that's a very serious thing. Let's go to our third heading. God speaks to Judah's stubborn and rebellious heart. Let's start reading again in verse 20. Uh, we read there, Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah, saying, now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, so it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. This people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. So God is saying here in these two verses, you know, I created the sea. I told the sea, you can only go up to this point and no further. And the sea obeys my word. But when I tell you how to live your life and behave your life, you have a stubborn heart and you have turned aside and departed from my word. Verse 24 says, they do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain in its season, the autumn rain, the spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. Wicked men are found among my people. They watch like fowlers. Those are bird trappers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich. They are fat. They are sleek. They also excel in deeds of wickedness. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the orphan, that they might prosper. They do not defend the rights of the poor. And again, here's verse 29, which was word for word exactly the same as verse 9. Shall I not punish these people, declares the Lord, on, on a nation such as this, shall I not avenge myself? 
So after passing judgment on Judah in verses 10 to 19, God now tells Judah the real root of their problem. God says in verse 20, Proclaim in Judah, hear this, O foolish and senseless people. You know, the, the literal reading of this verse 20 here literally says, O foolish people without heart. O foolish people without heart. Judah's root problem was a problem of their heart. God says in verse 22, Do you not fear me? Do you not tremble in my presence? Someone has said sanctification, and the word sanctification is one of those big words. It means a word for a holy, obedient to God lifestyle. Someone has said sanctification is not so much a matter of our will, but a matter of our heart. And here in verse 23, we see it was Judah's stubborn heart that caused them to turn aside from God. This problem of a stubborn, self-focused heart has consequences. Verse 25 says, your sins have withheld good from you. Here in Judah, God was withholding the rain which affected, of course, you know, the, the growth of their crops. But notice what Judah, how Judah responded to God's withholding the rain from them. It didn't bother them at all. It didn't stop their sin from taking place at all. Verse 26 says, Wicked men are found among my people, and through their sin, they have become great and rich. Verse 28 actually says, they excel in deeds of wickedness. And again, the literal of that is they also pass over and overlook deeds of wickedness. And here's the danger that Judah had fallen into. And it's also the danger that the church today has fallen into. Judah was allowing wicked men to live among them. They were tolerating sin. They had lost their fear of God, and they were allowing sinful people to continue to live among them. In the New Testament, we read several times about the church tolerating false and sinful teachers. I'll give you a couple of examples. Revelation 2 verse 20, the church at Thyatira, God says, I have this against you that you tolerate this woman Jezebel who teaches and leads my servants astray so they commit acts of immorality. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, Paul writes to the Corinthians there, if someone comes and preaches another Jesus, if someone comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or preaches a different gospel, you bear this beautifully, or you put up with this beautifully. You know, John in Revelation is saying that the church there tolerated this Jezebel who was saying sexual immorality is okay. That's our world today, right? Paul was telling the Corinthians 
that you are accepting another Jesus that we have not preached to you. And you are accepting another gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you. I think it was last time I mentioned here, back in 2018, Jimmy Carter, who claims to be a believer, said that if Jesus was living today, he believed that Jesus would approve of gay marriage. I remember uh, back when George W. Bush was president, he made a statement that both Muslims and Christians worship the same God. This is preaching another Jesus. This is preaching another gospel about a false Jesus. It's a false gospel. And what Judah was doing was that they were tolerating these false teachers who held to teaching that God's word did not teach, and they were letting them dwell among them. You know, you hear this, you hear an example like this quite often today. I've heard people say sometimes, you know, I can stay in a church that teaches false doctrine as long as I don't hold to that doctrine myself. I can stay in a place like that as long as I don't hold that doctrine myself. Well, that's not correct. That's not correct. You know, you can read First uh, Corinthians 5 and so on. God tells believers in the book of Jude, verse number 3, to earnestly contend for the whole body of truth, the faith that God has delivered to all of the believers. We're to contend for it. The word contend means to fight. You know, we fight for the truth of God's word and maintain it. John himself, who wrote Revelation, was in his 90s when he wrote Revelation. And when he wrote it, where was he? He was in exile on an island called Patmos. And why was he there? because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus Christ. John stood for the truth of God and the truth of God's word, and he paid a price for doing so. Even though he was in his 90s, they still shipped him off into exile. Let's finish here with uh, verses 30 and 31. I call these two verses the appalling conclusion, the appalling conclusion, verse 30 says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in this land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on their own authority and my people love it so. And then he asks the question, but what will you do at the end? What will you do at the end of it? So again, these verses are written here to the situation in Judah. We can apply them to the professing church today. What is this horrible and appalling thing that is happening in Judah? Well, it's this. The prophets there in Judah were prophesying falsely. Today we have church teachers teaching things contrary to what the Bible teaches. And notice the response of the people in Judah you know, it says there, the leaders were not leading according to the word of God, but how did the people respond? It says, my people love it so. 
And when you look at the professing church today, how sadly do many respond to false doctrine being preached? People love it so. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, The time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. They, have, they will have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their desires. They'll just get teachers to, who will teach them the things that they want to hear rather than teaching them the word of God. Jeremiah leaves us, you know, with a question here. <clears throat> after the false teaching is preached, after another Jesus is preached, after another gospel is proclaimed, what are you going to do in the end? What are you going to do in the end? And this is the question that each one of us must ask ourselves. Is it worth it to follow another Jesus? Is it worth it to follow a false Jesus who tolerates sin? A Jesus who will just tickle my ears and makes me feel good about myself. A Jesus who doesn't confront me about my sin and call me to repentance. You know, I can embrace a false Jesus and a false gospel, and I can win the approval and the applause of this world. I can be called humble and tolerant and humane. You know, I can follow my heart and sing like Debbie Boone did back in 1978 when I was in high school. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. But you know, when I do that, if that's my philosophy, I'm doing the same thing that the people of Judah did. I'm lying about the Lord. I am saying, not he. God is not, uh, excuse me, I'm embracing another Jesus and another gospel that cannot save me from my sin. That's, that's the answer. What will you do in the end? If I believe a false gospel, it's not going to save me in the end. So I would urge you, be honest with yourself about Jesus Christ and who he is. Judah lied about the Lord and said, not he. I'll close with this quote from C.S. Lewis that I bring out every year or two from his book, Mere Christianity. I'm sure you've heard it before, but I, I'll read it again. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet 
and call him Lord and God. And here's the closing sentence. But let us not come with any of this nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for its uh, directness, its bluntness, its honesty about man and his sin. And we thank you also for its honesty about God, that, he, that you are a God who judges sin and holds each one of us responsible for our sin. And we thank you also that you are also a God who offers men and women repentance. You have provided a Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ, who you would give to bear our sins on the cross. We thank you for being so compassionate and so loving towards us in that you would provide a savior for those very people who would disobey you, each one of us, and not honor your word. And yet you have still loved us all the way to the end. We thank you for this. Father, I would pray for any who are here who don't know the Lord Jesus as savior and as son of God, that they would even think this through and choose Either he is the son of God, he is either he or not he. I pray that people would choose to receive the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.